chapter 11. If you have a Bible, open up. If you don't, the folks who have been standing patiently through that incredible introduction will give you one of these Bibles that they have been bearing the burden of. Just raise your hand, they'll get it to you. Luke chapter 11. We've already read verses one through four as we did a study through the Lord's Prayer. You can pick that up online. And now we're gonna pick up uh, this morning in verse five. And so would you stand with me as I read out loud and you'll follow along silently? We stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. We sit for the word of the teacher. One we honor, the other we tolerate. Luke chapter 11, I'll read out loud starting at verse five and you can follow along silently. Jesus said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight? Everyone say at midnight. <laughs> You'll see why. And you say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I didn't go to the store and I didn't do pre proper planning and I wasn't awaiting him and I have nothing to set before him. I added that part. And he will answer from within and say, don't trouble me. The door's now shut. My kids are asleep. They're all in bed. I can't rise and give to you. And I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, I love what NIV says, his audacity, he's relentless, he is a pain in the neck. Because of being a pain in the neck, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Here, here's not three loaves, here's five, never come back again. Well, could I have six? Yeah, Baker's dozen, here's 12, just go away. And Baker's dozen would be 13. Verse nine, so I say to you, and this is the Lord speaking, Jesus says, I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. But if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And then two verses here after Jesus teaches all this, he casts out a demon that had caused the man to be mute. And uh, he was casting out a demon and it was mute. And so it was when the demon had gone out that the mute spoke and the multitudes marveled. But some of them said, he casts out demons by the power of Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. A little bit of an accusation there. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you that you have revealed it to us and that you desire to minister to us through your living word, which is sharper than a two-edged sword. It divides the thoughts and the intents of our heart. It's living, it's breathing. It ministers to us. And so, Lord, for all in the hearing of my voice, I pray that you would minister to them as we avail ourselves to receive from you. And we thank you for your word, which is true. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have a seat. I love the portion of scripture that I had you repeat. He said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight? I've got that highlighted in white, at midnight. And say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. First of all, why you would equate friend with someone who annoys you at midnight. That's gracious. Uh, and, and the Lord is using a parable. And we have to see who the players in the parable are. So... Who's the one with the provision in, in our world? Who's the one that owns a cattle on a thousand hills? Okay, so eight of you got it. Who is the one who owns a cattle on a thousand hills? All right, so he's the homeowner, right? He's there. And, uh, and we're the needy and irritating. 
and it's midnight. And we're not just a friend. We are obnoxious friend. We are a pain in the neck friend. We are a persistent friend. We, we just continue. And the result of all of our need is our lack of preparation. We're responsible for the mess we're in. We didn't go to the store. And so we go and bother the person who has something. And what's interesting about this parable is anyone hearing it would understand because a home in those days had two stories. The bottom floor was for the animals and the top floor was for the family where the windows were so you could be above elevation so in the heat of the summer the, the breeze would go through and you could go on the roof to sleep up there if you needed to but the windows would operate and if it was cold the animals below would provide the heat that would rise to the family above as well as many other things would rise. It affect your olfactory senses. And so this is the way the house is set. So if the family's in for the night, they all get up to the one room, they put all the children to sleep, and then they have the animals all secured, and they've locked the house down. And now it's midnight, and there's a knock at the door, and the guy he opens up, he says, what, what are you doing? Hey, listen, hey, I need a couple of loaves. All right, all right, just calm down. No, you understand, I got a friend who came from a long way, and I really, shh, my kids are asleep. My whole family's asleep. And he hears, and he's like, well, please. And the kids are like, what's that, mommy? And it's just crazy. Just stop it. Go away. Everyone's down for the night. I don't need this hassle. You're a friend, but the guy can go without a meal for a night. Go, go to a single person's house. Bug them. Please. And the guy's like, no, you don't understand. If I don't, I can't. I can walk in and I didn't get any food the other day. And I was like, stop it. And so we call this the persistent neighbor at midnight. Some of you have neighbors like that. Here's one that I got a meme. I thought it was funny. My neighbor was banging on my door at 2.30 in the morning. Luckily for him, I was still awake playing my drums. <laughs> here's, a, here's a text stream. A person texts and says, do you have any rice or pasta? I have pasta. Great, dude. Can I borrow some? I'm starving and I'm totally lazy. I guess. Give me 15 minutes, though. Do you have pasta sauce? I guess so. Cool. You got Parmesan cheese? Some of us have friends that are takers. Maybe you're sitting near them. I went too far. I'm sorry. Well, guess what? Everyone in the room is a taker at some point. We all have an agenda in life. We're fallen creatures. Sometimes we're the givers and sometimes we're the takers. Sometimes the balance is out of whack. But you think about this persistent, obnoxious person knocking at your door and, and their, their need is all-encompassing to them. They have no concern about your family, your animals, your life, what you, where you have to be at work in the morning. That's irrelevant. They need three loaves of bread. Why? Because somebody's hungry that came to visit that I didn't prepare for. So their need has now become your problem. And they're going to make it your problem until you fix it. And you'll give them anything by the time they're done because they are relentless. And they go from being a friend to being a very annoying friend to the point where you would want as them, your neighbor, to move to this house. <laughs> now with that being said... 
This is a parable. A parable is parallel lines alongside each other. God takes an earthly illustration to depict a heavenly truth. So there's players in the story, and God wants you to know who the actors are in the story. And, and I went through it earlier. God is the one in the house with his family. And we are the annoying neighbor, friend. And we are obnoxious. And, and, and the Lord points out that the person gets up because of the persistence and the annoyance of the other. He gets up to give them whatever they want. Why would God give an illustration like that? As I looked at it, I thought, Lord, especially as I read it this week, I thought, Lord, that's me. I've been doing that to you all week long. God often waits for a passionate persistence in prayer. It isn't that God is reluctant and needs to be persuaded. Our persistence doesn't change God. It changes us, developing in us a heart and a passion for what God wants. You see, in the passage of Scripture, he wants us to be persistent. He gives us a perfect picture of it. And we're fallen creatures and we're selfish and most of the time we're knocking on God's doors because of some mess we got ourselves into. Can I get an amen? amen. You didn't budget correctly. You, you didn't live within your means. You, you broke a friendship by distrust. Uh, you have a fight with your spouse. Uh, you were too heavy handed with your kids. Uh, your, the kids were disobedient. They didn't tell the truth. Whatever mess you're in and you're asking God for help is a direct result of your actions and you want God to fix it. And God gets that about us. He's not like, what do you want now? Because he then takes the next statement to comfort us. He says, yeah, that's the parable. And he said, and I like the persistence of the man downstairs. And he gets what he needs. And I want your prayer to be the same way. I want you dependent on me. I want you to ask me. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. I, I'm not irritated uh, like, like the man upstairs is. I'm not irritated by your persistence. He's God. It doesn't phase him. Matter of fact, he likes, he likes us to be in predicaments where we call on him because it draws us to him. And then he says in verse 9, so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. I love the idea of that. Ask, seek, knock. Ask, it will be given. Seek, you will find. Knock, and the door will be open. The beauty of that is, we're told to keep asking, keep seeking, and knocking. All three verbs are continuous. All three verbs are continuous. Jesus is not speaking of a single activity, but those that persist. Spend your life in communion with God. Talk to him. He, it, nothing bugs him. That's, I don't know about you, but that is a really good friend. Yeah? I mean, you have those friends that call you when they need something. And my favorite is, I know you're busy, but just save that part. Everybody's busy. What do you need? What do you need? I know you're calling. And my favorite is you haven't heard from someone in two or three years. And they're like, hey, how's it going? You're like, yeah, let's get through this. Tell me what it is you need. And you know that call the minute you get it. Amen? And that's okay. God's not phased by that. Lord, I know I haven't talked to you in a long time, and I don't know why you'd want anything to do with me. And you're the big man upstairs, and I was thinking, if, there, if you really cared, you know, maybe you could pull me out of this predicament because I'm in a world of hurt. And uh, He's like, I've been waiting. I'm really happy to hear from you. You mean I'm not irritating? No, you're not irritating at all. You want to trust me through this process? I'll walk you through it. And he, and he, he wants you to understand something. 
He loves the idea of persistence. He loves this idea that these verbs are continuous. That's what he wants from us, a continual dialogue, communication with him. He's using that illustration to point it out. He's not irritated. We're irritated. We struggle in helping other people. And we we have our limitations. And we can still call them friends, but boy, they can push the envelope at midnight wanting three loaves because they didn't bother to go and our family is irrelevant to them. Friends can push that envelope. You can't push it with God. You keep knocking. You keep asking. I'll take care of that. And I love this. Ask, seek, knock. And then he adds this. Verse 10, for everyone who asks receives and he who knocks finds and to him who knocks it will be open. But then he says this in verse 11. Um, He says, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? I mean, our kids come to us and they ask us for things. And there are times where they irritate you and you're thinking, I, I, I think I'd, I'd like to give you a stone. <laughs> but I'll give you bread. There are times you're like, a serpent would do you some good right now. Just wring that neck of yours. And, <laughs> and the poison that you're spouting from your mouth, that scorpion could increase if we just, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and as an evil father, you pull back and you go, I'm sorry, Lord. Yes, you may have bread. Dad, can I have? Yes, you may. I really need these shoes. You have 40 bucks for shoes, but I really need these shoes. They're 120 bucks. No, you don't really need the shoes. What you need is another $80. (laughs) (laughs) And the Lord points out that we're evil and we still do good things for our kids. We want the best for them, right? We still have those thoughts like, you know, I'm frustrated with you. I'd like to give you peace of my mind. But ultimately, you, just, you love them. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. <laughs> right? And there's the statement again. But this is the part that touches me. We know how to give good gifts to our children. But the Lord adds this. And this is what touched me. That Wednesday night before the misery upon our community and what touches me again, the Lord says, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You apply prayer and you step into this mess of life in a world that is selfish with people who purport to be your friends and take advantage of you and malign you and you operate and you're you're gonna malign others And with our agendas that we're all connected by, we have this unbelievable gift to offend one another. And the only ones who are guilty are everyone who are present now. And in the course of it, Lord, how do I navigate life without bitterness? Lord, how do I step in to do the right thing And yet everyone has nothing but evil to return. They return evil for good. And they take and they take and you give and you give. How do you do it, God? I mean, Jesus, he healed the multitudes. And now they're calling him the 
the king of, of, of the demons. I mean, they are, they are obliterating him in social media and the gossip and the slander. And he, all he's done is serve. He's fed thousands. He's going to go to the cross and be beaten and everyone's going to betray him and, and bail on him. And they're going to spit on him and ridicule him and mock him. And the definition of a friend is when the whole world goes out, they come in. He didn't have a friend, save but for one. You see, he'd spend time in communion with the Lord because he knew that in prayer, his father would align him with the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit. The Spirit of truth, the Spirit of comfort, the Spirit of Christ. Father, would you give me your Spirit? I don't want to operate in my agenda. I don't want to operate in my selfishness. I don't want to operate in my bitterness. I don't want to operate in the tally that I'm keeping score, that, I, that I've given more than I've received. God, I, I, I'm getting nothing from this. I, and all I'm getting is ridicule. I, I'm, just, I'm getting maligned. What is the point? Lord, I don't want to keep a record of wrongs. I, I'm doing this because you asked me, God, would you fill me? Spirit, would you fill me? I want to be aligned with what is true, what is right, what is pure. I can't concern myself with the agenda or, 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 or the barbs of, of pain that are shot towards my heart. You're my strong tower. The righteous run into him. Lord, I don't want to build animosity. People aren't the enemy. They're the opportunity. And there's some people that's so hard to say that about. Really, they're just incarnate evil. And yet you love them. You love the betrayer. Wait, what did you say, Rob? He loves the betrayer. Wait, what did you say, Rob? Yeah, Matthew 26. On the night previous that he was to be betrayed, Jesus broke bread. He says, one of you will betray me. They said, Lord, is it I? And he says, the one in whom I dip this will... And it's Judas. He points it out. He knew it was him. He knew what he'd do. He knew he'd be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. It was prophesied in the Old Testament. Christ is God. He knows exactly what's awaiting him. He knows the cat of nine tails. He knows the beatings he's going to endure. He knows the betrayal that he's going to receive by Judas. He knows it all. He knows he carries the money bag. He knows he's dipping into it. He knows he's deceptive. He knows he has an agenda. He knows it all. And he's calling. He knows he has all those things. And yet, here he is in the Garden of Gethsemane. What is he doing? He's praying. No one else is joining him. He's bleeding as though it were, he's, he's sweat is like drops of blood coming from his capillaries. He's in agony. No one's even staying awake and interceding in prayer. He's applying everything he taught. He's, he's crying out and pressing into the Father, and he's persistent. If there be any way this cup pass from me, help me. And here comes this fiery serpent descending down the Mount of Olives as the torches are being carried by the soldiers, leading the way as Judas himself. As he comes into that garden with a pocket full of 30 pieces of silver, he walks right up to Christ. And before he can kiss him on the cheek to betray him, Friend, why have you come? 
Why are you knocking on my door at midnight? What do you need? What do you need? Not what are you here to take? Not what's your agenda? I'm your friend. I'm here to meet your needs and the riches of Christ, not your wants, not your fleshly desires, your needs. There's issue with us. You're my friend. I know all about your past. I know all about your troubles. I know all about it. And at this dark hour, you are at the pinnacle of evil. Why have you come? He gave him an opportunity to the very end. And he kissed him and they laid hands on Christ and they took him. And here, that kiss resulted in the most brutal beating the world has ever known. Friend, why have you come at midnight? And the part about it is that the Lord would describe this and he says, I don't mind. You come to me and you are my friend. And you ask and you seek and you knock. I've been doing it all night. And I can fix this. I can help you. And then in the moment where he's been empowered by the Spirit of God, applying this picture of prayer, he sees an individual whose mouth has been sealed by deception and evil as it's consumed his heart. He can't even utter truth any longer. He's bound by possession of demonic forces. And Jesus looses his tongue and sets him free to speak. He can now speak the truth. He can now operate in truth. He can now have conversations which brings interpersonal relationships. He can ask for forgiveness. He can restore his life. Christ touched him. He gave him what he needed. He wasn't the one knocking at the door. He wasn't, he wasn't screaming. He wasn't asking. He couldn't even speak, and the Lord sets him free. Everyone witnesses this. They marvel at that. He does a good thing. He's fed thousands. He's healed multitudes. And in front of their very eyes, he delivers a man from oppression and a life of possession. And what do they do? They declare that he casts out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Beelzebub. It's a difficult name to analyze may come from a similar sounding word that means Lord of the Flies. It was a harsh accusation, but look at the bottom in red. It is not uncommon for people to resort to slander when they cannot contend with the truth. Ad hominem attack. You can't deal with the facts, so you attack the person. With friends like that, who needs enemies? But everyone is a potential friend. You've heard in the book of Job, which is the oldest book in the Bible, because before you could write Genesis, God made sure that Job was written so that we would understand what it's like to have your entire life betrayed. What it's like to have everything lost and still call on God. Yea, though he slay me, yet will I praise him to have everything wiped out and still worship God. How does a man do that? 
And there's this declaration in the book of Job called Job's comforters, his friends. They weren't friends and they weren't comforters. Their counsel was mean, self-centered. It, had, it was agenda-driven. Even his wife said, curse God and die. She wasn't even helpful. Here it is, the scriptures declare he's the most righteous man that ever walked on the face of the earth at that point, and everything's wiped out, and they're blaming this catastrophe that God had allowed on sin in his own life. And here he is in the midst of it, trying to praise the Lord, and all he's getting is clanging cymbals and sounding brass by these mean, self-centered, agenda-driven, deceptive friends, and making themselves feel more pious, because nothing looks more evil than our sin does on someone else. Ponder that. And God looks at them at the end of this book and he looks at these friends and he says to Eliphaz the termite, Temanite. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad. Yeah, there it is. Oh yeah, wait. Did I miss it? There we go. Yeah, let's go to this one, 42.7. And so it was after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz a Temanite, my wrath is aroused against you and your two friends for you have not spoken to me what is right as my servant Job has. At the end, God's gonna sort it out. It doesn't matter how we treat people. God's gonna, he's gonna work it out. He'll call accounting to every word that leaves our mouth. And Job's just staying the course. I'm just gonna tell the truth. I'm going to be transparent. I'm going to operate in this capacity. I don't care what happens to me. I don't care any of those things. And honestly, I don't care if I don't get reelected as mayor. I don't care if I lose the ministry. I don't care if I'm maligned. I can't walk away from a car accident. I can't. It doesn't matter. And there's, there's something comforting and not worrying about the consequences when you're doing what you're called to do. And I love this part because this is where God got me. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Nahamathite <laughs> went and did as the Lord commanded them for the Lord had accepted Job and the Lord restored Job's losses. When did he restore Job's losses? When he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had had before. How do you call somebody like that a friend? It's a stretch for me to call the guy from the Phoenix preacher and have a conversation with him and to hang up and see the hand of God where I can honestly say before all of you, he's my friend. I'm sure there's still gonna be a couple of stings and barbs that are gonna come out. I'm, he's still my friend. People are not the enemy, they're the opportunity. People are not the enemy, they're the opportunity. And every time I say that, he tests me. <laughs> the Lord said to Peter, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked, to, asked for you by name that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. You're going to do to me exactly what Judas did. But you're going to come back around. 
It's God's kindness that will lead us to repentance. I'm praying for you. I'm asking, I'm seeking, I'm knocking at the door of the Father. You're gonna break my heart and I'm gonna love you into the kingdom. How do you deal with people like this? Correction, how do you deal with people like me? How do I deal with people like you? Let God handle your enemies. You just keep praying for them. I'm almost finished. Here's how you love your enemies. We're gonna do a refresher because we've already been over this. But I say to you who hear, can you hear me? Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who spitefully use you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. Knock on that door. God, help me with this one. He's an opportunity. (laughs) Help me. I love in chapter 12, you don't know what you're supposed to say. The Holy Spirit, Lord, give me your spirit that I would be aligned with your purposes. If you could call Job a friend, if you could call these other knuckleheads friends, if you could call Peter a friend, if you could call Judas friend, help me. Lord, let me show you my world. I don't have friends. I don't have enemies. I got frenemies. The problem with the church is it's filled with sheep that morph into goats. And then the goats morph into sheep. And sometimes they're a chimera, like a hybrid. You're walking with the Lord one day and then you're, you're the cause of just abstract misery the next day. And, and then you're, you're broken and you're yielded. And then you're agenda driven. And you guys are going, I know, we watch you. Because we're all in the same mess. We're a fallen people. And the only good thing in us is the Holy Spirit. How much more abide in him? And if you struggle with people in your life, remember this as we come to communion. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? We are enmity with God. We are enemies of God. Later in the passage in Luke 12, we'll study, but it says, anyone who speaks a word against the son of man, it will be forgiven him, but to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. Go ahead and say whatever you want about me, Jesus says. Curse me. Call me Beelzebub. But please understand, everything I do is open and public. I do the will of my Father. And you're going to see it. And it's, it's going to be before your very eyes. And if you want to attribute it to Satan, if you want to continue to malign me, you can do that till you breathe your very last breath. But it's appointed once for a man to die, then judgment. And the Holy Spirit is bringing conviction. You know it's wrong. Stop it for your own sake. I'm here. I will forgive you. I will reconcile you. I will give to you what you need. I will be that sacrifice. I will reconcile you to the Father that you are an enemy with. I'll do this. Trust me. And you can, you can call me whatever you want. You can whip me. You can beat me. You can crucify me. But when you breathe your last... 
To the level you forgive, you will be forgiven. And I have died to reconcile you that you would no longer be an enemy, but a friend. Friend, what do you need? What do you need? You need a savior. And I'm here. It's not three loaves at midnight. It's the, the bread of life. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body, the bread of life through death, to present you holy in his sight without blemish, free from accusation. He'll take the accusation. He'll take the beating. He's gonna give you forgiveness, reconciliation, a new life in Christ. Not one driven by bitterness, but one that is established by joy. And freely you forget, you, you've received, so go and give. We're all creatures of forgiveness. It's not three loaves at midnight. It's the bread of life right now. And you know what? Come. He wants you to have it. You haven't annoyed him. He wants you to keep pressing in. He's going to give you his spirit. He's going to make us instruments in this fallen world to declare truth and transparency and honesty. And it doesn't matter what happens to us. We'll be able to look at the worst and love them in spite of themselves. And so the communion table is for us. What Christ has done for us, we come and receive and now we get to go and give. And we're going to take communion together. Amen? Amen. Let's have the folks come up and I, I have to tell you last service when these, these young folks were up here and listening to Emma singing and it's just such a beautiful sound. I want this to be a time of ministry to your heart. The ushers will dismiss you by row. We've got it all set up with four communion locations. Just to give you an idea, you take the bread and the cup and you sit down in your seat and we usually take the bread first because it represents Christ. His body had to be broken before his blood could be shed. His blood was shed for the remission of our sins. It was holy blood. It cleanses us of all unrighteousness, past, present, and future. And, he, and, and it doesn't matter if it's midnight. He's, he's already here. He's, he's got what you need. And he's come to meet your needs in the riches of Christ. And so come and receive forgiveness and enjoy this time in the presence of the Lord. Amen.